Happy holiday weekend. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining me today. So much better when there's people looking back at me. So that's nice. I appreciate that. And uh, for those of you who struggle with attention, like I do, just prepare yourself and give yourself to the fact that there's probably going to be some squawking, and that's okay. We're really glad to have our kids with us. There is a TV with the service in the foyer. If it gets too crazy, I guess you could go out if you need to, but we're just really glad to have you with us today. Um, Has the Lord clarified a Jerusalem for you yet? I'm speaking to kind of the core of our church. We've been talking about this a lot lately. If you're visiting with us today, um, I'll explain that a little bit. We're finally, in the next number of weeks, really a couple weeks, wrapping up a two-year deep dive into the book of Acts. And so we're not going to get the entire rest of it finished, believe it or not. Um, But in that, coming to the book, at the end of the book of Acts, we're on Paul's final missionary journey, the Apostle Paul. And the Holy Spirit's made it really clear he has to go to Jerusalem, and then he's going to go to Rome. But he's been warned by the Spirit that when he comes to Jerusalem, it's not going to be really nice for him. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be a lot of struggles and a lot of tough time for Paul. And so here's where we're at, and we've been talking in recent weeks as a church, praying through, has the Lord called us to a Jerusalem? Is there a place the Lord has asked us from a ministry context to go that we can already see in advance it's probably not going to be great? It's not going to go super well for us. There's going to be opposition. Might not be received very well. Uh, Last week we talked about who are your Gentiles. It's kind of interesting, a lot of context around that, but just how a lot of times for the Jewish people back in that day, It was really tough for them to see the truth and the good news of Christ because they just couldn't understand how God was letting these foreigners and these outsiders into that good news. And who are the people in that Jerusalem that he's calling you to who make you uncomfortable, who don't fit, who might not be the people you find really easy to love on? What does that look like? So what is your Jerusalem? Uh, This holiday weekend Sunday, I want to take just a few minutes today, and I want to try and bring a word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul in the midst of that journey. Uh, We've been talking about it, we've been talking about how hard it's going to be, but there's some incredible encouragement that Paul gives in his own tough journey to the literal Jerusalem that he was headed towards. And I thought we'd take that time, I don't know about you, I just felt like I needed it. And so I'm hoping this will be a blessing for you as well as we think about it. So just a few words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul as we move forward in the ministry that he's called us to. Um, If you haven't already, I would really encourage you to take some time to read through the rest of the book of Acts. It sounds so crazy. I mean, there's quite a few chapters still left in it. But if you've ever paid attention when you read them, it goes pretty fast. Just read it like a book. And just catch all of the chaos that Paul is going to go through as the book of Acts wraps up. But let me just read a little bit from Acts 23. Uh, you can go there if you want. You can look. I think I have this, these few verses up on the screen. I'm going to be in verse 12, uh, 12 through 15 here for just a moment. Acts 23, 12. The next morning, some Jews, he's in Jerusalem. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy 
and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Pause for a moment, let that sink in. They have taken an oath that they will not eat or drink food until Paul is wiped off the face of the earth at their hands. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, hey, we've got a plan. We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, petition the commander the Roman commander, to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. So you catch what's happening. They want to take Paul out so bad that they're going to lie to the Romans. The Jewish religious leaders are going to lie to the Romans, tell them, hey, we'd like some more information. And these 40 men who have taken this vow are going to lie in the bushes ambush him and take him out okay welcome to Paul's life in Jerusalem crazy can you imagine can you imagine constantly living under threat for your life I remember in grade 7 I was being a perfect little angel in class and a really big guy who sat behind me looked at me and he goes I'm going to kill you at recess. I honestly thought maybe he meant it literally, but even if he didn't mean it literally, I was a little nervous what was in between that and actual death. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your life constantly under threat? This is Paul's world. It's a roller coaster. It stresses me out. In his final years, in one form or another, he's going to be in prison. He's going to be threatened. He's going to be falsely accused. So maybe he's a guy we should listen to when we need some encouragement in the tough stuff that Christ calls us to. You already heard this verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. This is Paul talking to a Galatian church that had Jews and Gentiles trying to work out, and the issue of the letter is the same thing that's happening for him in Jerusalem. What do we do with the Old Testament law? What's going on? And in that context, we have this verse, let us not become weary and doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. A few words of encouragement, starting with this. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Was that encouragement or a challenge? Yes. Yes. Uh, this context of this verse, just, just to keep it all there, you know, Galatians 6. Remember Galatians 5? It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The context of this is actually speaking to the Galatians about their inner life. The fruit of the Spirit in their character. Do you have Christ-like character on the inside? But I think this verse counts all the way through because what do we know about following Christ? The outward ministries that he calls us to always start with the inward ministry of his Spirit in our own life. I can't do the Jerusalem. I can't do the callings of Christ 
for other people if I'm not letting him speak to my own character, my own inner life. And so in this sense, don't give up on the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart. And don't give up and don't grow weary on the mission that he will call you from that place. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Following Christ is the life of a cross. In really big theological terms, they say this. It's the cruciform life. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It means a life formed by the cross. Wow, that's really encouraging, Pastor. Thank you. But this is what Christ calls us to. A life of the cross. If you want to follow me and be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. This is the life of following Christ. The cruciform life. And in that, often... Growing weary and not giving up simply boils down to just simply doing the thing that Jesus asked me to do. Just do it. No magical formulas or promise of lollipops when we're brave. Sorry. No waiting on all the fields to line up and then we'll go. No waiting on more signs from heaven to make sure it was really him. Just jump. Just do it. A guy named Raymond Edmond has a quote from a while back. And it's a quote I heard when I was younger. And every time, it just feels like every time, I start to get in that dark place and the thing that the Lord has called me to do, this, this quote comes up. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Growing weary, giving up. Not growing weary, not giving up. Often means we just have to do the thing he asks and trust that when we jump, he will catch us. Real life there are times when we know what that is and we just don't do it, aren't there? There are times where we don't know for sure what he's asking for. And I think there's times in between all that where we use not knowing as an excuse not to do it. Do you find yourself in any of those? So let me give you another word of encouragement. Don't beat yourself up as you go. Don't beat yourself up as you go. John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist? John the Baptist had a very clear Jerusalem, if you will. Very clear calling. His entire existence, leaping in his womb when Mary came in with Jesus in her womb, was to prepare the way for Christ the Messiah. And John was a guy with a temperament and a calling that could care less what anybody thought about him evidenced by what we read about him in scripture. He was out in the wilderness doing his thing. Didn't care. I am here to prepare the way for the Messiah. He knew what his calling was. He knew what his mission was. So much so that he went to prison and was beheaded for it. 
But can I just remind you of one little, one little section in the Gospels of an interaction with John in prison. Matthew eleven two. 2, when John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Even John the Baptist had his moment. I, like, I look at guys like that, and I'm like, I wish I had that kind of inner, you know, fortitude and whatever. I'm just not that strong-willed, I guess, or whatever. Like, he just didn't care, didn't care, but all of a sudden, he's now in prison facing death. And he's like, I'm watching Jesus. Are you sure you're the one? I mean, I believe God's going to send the Messiah, and I'm supposed to, like, prepare, but are you sure you're the one? Friends, we will falter at some point in this journey. That's not a question of if. We're going to have moments where we miss the call of Christ. We're going to have moments when we misinterpret the call of Christ. We're going to have moments where he's clear, but we're going to second guess. And we're going to have moments when he's clear and we just freeze. We will falter. But can I just remind us of this? God is not looking for our perfection. He doesn't have a formula where it's like we got to get it 10 out of 10 or else we don't get to move forward. He's not looking for our perfection. He's looking for a heart that is contrite and a heart that's willing to come to him and say, hey, I fell. Help me back up. And in those moments, he will show all the grace that he's already shown us. Look at Jesus' response to John the Baptist. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, you know this scripture. You know this is right. It's okay. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. All the grace. All the grace. Don't beat yourself up. Don't let the enemy get you lost in shame and guilt so that you can't move forward. Own it. Come to him. Be encouraged. Final word of encouragement today. Don't forget God's promises power, and presence. Don't forget God's promises, power, and presence. Can I talk about promise and power for just a second? Most of Acts are stories of God through his Holy Spirit acting powerfully, mightily, to fulfill his promises in spite of human impossibility. That's what we've spent all this time going through, right? You catch that? God is sovereign. God has the power. Nothing is going to stop his plans. 
Nothing will get in the way of his promises. He makes them and he carries them out. Most of the time, not the way we thought he should, but he will. That's what we've been looking at. He's going to bring good for all involved, even for those who ended up giving their lives, which was pretty much all of them. But not until God had accomplished what he wanted to do in them and through them. Catch that? Like, let that sink in for a second. When God decides he's going to do something, he's going to get it done. We have this example the whole way through, but start with Jesus. Look at all the ways the enemy throws wrenches and obstacles in the plan that God had of redemption from the very beginning. How many times do you read the story? It's like they're getting ready to throw him off a cliff. We talked about that one last week. And it's like, oh, Jesus disappeared. What just happened? Nope, not time yet. Jesus did eventually have to give his life. So did Paul. So did Peter. So did most of the apostles, the disciples. But not until God had done what he was going to do in them and through them. You catch that? Isn't that incredibly Wild, I, I kind of messes with your mind. Maybe you're already jumping to the, well, why, why does it ever have to happen? Could we pull back and not miss how amazing that is? God's not going to let you just like drift off. Oh man, lost him. Lost her. Wasn't paying attention. That doesn't mean you should go out this afternoon and start juggling chainsaws. Don't be stupid. But do you catch the power of our God to accomplish his purposes and what he promises? Do we live in that? Can I take you back to Acts 23? Remember the Jews are plotting to ambush and kill him. Acts 23, 16, in the middle of the story. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and he told Paul. Did you catch that? Paul's nephew in Jerusalem somehow overhears the plot to assassinate Paul. And he goes, hey Paul, just heard something. Coincidence? I think not. Right? God's got him. Fast forward. Paul finally gets through a couple years of prison and red tape in Israel, and now he's on his way to Rome, as God had promised him. The Roman sailors don't listen to Paul. They're in the ship, and they get shipwrecked, right? And Paul kind of has this moment of, I told you so. Sometimes you read Paul, and you're like, man, that guy, I think sometimes I might want to punch him in the face a little bit. But I don't think that was the spirit of what he was getting at. The point of the message in the moment is, hey, guys, I told you we were going to get shipwrecked if we went this way, but just take it easy. We're all going to be okay, and if you listen to me moving forward, you're all going to live. Because Paul knew something. Paul knew that God wasn't going to let anything happen to him until he got to Rome. That was God's promise. And so what happens? They get shipwrecked. The ship's a disaster. They swim off to this little island nearby. I guess it wasn't too far And let me just pick this up. Acts 28, 3. 
So the, the locals are being really good to them. They're taking care of them. Paul's gathering a pile of brushwood to put it on the fire, and a viper, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Wapa! When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. <laughs> Check this out. Paul shook the snake off into the fire, suffered no ill effects, blah, blah, blah. These people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds, and of course they thought he was a god, which we know from past experience he would have set them straight. No, no, I'm not the god. I'm serving the real one who has power over a venomous snake. Dude, <laughs> when God's got a plan, he's gonna get it done. Amen? When you're on mission, a shipwreck and a poisonous snake is not going to take you out. Maybe I've shared this before. I remember hearing some missionaries talking about being in Africa, got stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, I think I was sharing this with some friends just recently. And it's like they had to like just sleep out on the riverbank under the stars because they just got stuck. There was nowhere to go. And uh, water buffalo, hippos, all the things that actually kill more humans than anything. Walked right past, didn't touch them. All night long. There's no safer place on this planet than in the center of God's will. And how much of our lives do we spend trying to avoid danger and making sure we're safe and our kids are safe and all the stuff? And we're actually getting ourselves distracted and off track in our pursuit to protect ourselves when if God calls us into the middle of the chaos, you're not going to be safer anywhere else. Catch that. I love this simple verse that the angel says to Mary in Luke 1 when he comes and tells her this insane thing's going to happen to her. You're going you're gonna to get pregnant with God, you know, miraculously. And guess what? It's going to be a rough existence. But look what he says. Verse 37, For no word from God will ever fail. His promise and his power are ours, but that's not it. Here's the really cool part. One of his promises is his presence. His presence. I want to be careful how I say this. I've already said there's likely going to be more times where the Lord says, hey, you know what you're supposed to do, now go do it, and you're going to have to just be obedient. And you can't get frozen waiting for just another word, Lord, just another little more encouragement. He said, no, just, just jump, just do it. But as he sees fit, he finds moments where he comes and he stands next to us. And he's present in a tangible way 
but you just can't put into words. Acts 23. I jumped to the end of the story. I didn't tell you the very beginning of it, though. We back up. Everybody's planning to kill him. This is all happening. Things are happening. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Let's let that sink in. The Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Okay. His presence. I wish I knew exactly how the Lord stood next to him. Was it Jesus, like that actually appeared and stood next to him? Is that what it means? Was it, you know, like in the, the remakes of Star Wars where the old guys are in the like little holograms when they're standing next to them at the end of the, anyway, sorry. Uh, what did that look like? Was it a voice? Was it something inside? I don't know. How about we just let it go and not get lost in it? I wonder how many times the Lord has stood next to you and me and we didn't even realize it. This is the importance, right? This is the importance of abiding in Christ. Even if it's just that little, still, small, invisible voice deep inside. Thank you, Jesus. But do we have ears to hear it? Have we put ourselves in a place where we know when the Lord is actually standing next to us? If you're like me, I can be on mission. I can be doing the thing. Yeah, God told me to do this thing, and it starts to get dark. And what do you do? You just start flailing, don't you? You start taking things into your own hands. You start running around like a chicken with your head cut off. I got to take care of this. I got to do this. Where's God? Where are you? What's going on? And I get so busy that I don't have time to just stop and to pull away and be quiet and know he is with me. He's present. I will never leave you or forsake you. Where did he say that? Oh, right. When he called us to go out into all the world and make disciples. All the Jerusalems. I will never leave you or forsake you. Can I just read a few more verses? Here in just a moment, we've got a lyric video thing, I think. Um, just a song, a chance for us just to stop and reflect this holiday before we take off and enjoy the rest of our family time and festivities. Can I just share some more scripture? Isaiah 50. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. You often worried when God asked you to do crazy stuff that you're going to look stupid, ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who's my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They all wear out like a garment. Moss will eat them up. 
Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Is that you right now? Lamentations 3, this is Jeremiah, who had a really rough go. Like, a really rough go. I think he had one convert all the years of preaching the words that the Lord told him to. He was persecuted, pushed out, by being obedient to Christ to his own Jewish brothers and sisters. Lamentations 3.22, you know this one. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because his compassion never fails. It's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I will hope in him. What do you need to hear today from the Lord in the Jerusalem that he's called you to? In the ministry, in the tough place, in all the ways that you can see it going wrong, is he just simply asking you not to get weary and quit? Is it time to just keep going? Is he asking you to jump? No lollipops, no signs. Just go. Is he asking you to bring all of your fails to him and be restored so you can move forward? Keep thinking of Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Is he trying to remind you of his promises, his power, and his presence? Are you listening? Are you listening? Do you just sit for a moment with that? Just take a time to pray and reflect in your own heart. You can listen to this. Sit still. Would you just let him speak to you about that today?